Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cleared for Takeoff. I'm your host, Gavin Rice, and I want to share what I've learned in aviation both on the job, off the job, and what I've encountered everywhere in between. What a week! You know, it, it might seem like us airline pilots do get a lot of days off, and while eh, this can be true, sometimes a week just feels exhausting, and, and the days seem to drag on, even when it's just, you know, a, a two or three day trip uh, in that one week. Uh, and this past week was one of them, one of those exhausting weeks. Uh, it, was, it was a fairly straightforward footprint for this three day trip, uh, and it really did look harmless from the outside. It was scheduled to start in Boston around 2 p.m. on Wednesday and go from Boston to D.C. National uh, and then from D.C. to Orlando with a, a duty end time of about 7 p.m. So, I mean, it sounded easy enough. Uh, but things changed pretty quickly, and uh, for starters, in order to make my commute a little bit more easy and, and more cost-effective, uh, I've started taking the Logan Express from Framingham. It's a bus that brings you all the way to the terminal, so this means that I only drive my car 25 to 30 minutes to Framingham, and, and I get to avoid the Massachusetts Turnpike, or as we call it here, the Pike. Because before my last job, I was driving all the way to the airport, and I was just starting to get really sick of it. Uh, and, and one way was about 40 miles, which, you know, about one to two gallons of gas. And the tolls were, I think it was uh, right now, it's at about $3.70. So that really does add up. And, and not to mention, you know, dealing with Boston traffic, uh, whether it was towards the city or, or going home was, was typically worse. And it just wasn't fun to, to be on the pike with all that traffic. And now riding a bus, even though there is traffic, I can I can sit in the back and relax and, and uh, also take one car off the pike to hopefully help with traffic uh, ever so slightly. Uh, and additionally, the cost of the bus, uh, the bus ticket, when it's all said and done with all of my um, reimbursement I get for parking and, and commuting, it ends up only costing me about $1.50. So the, the overall commute to work has become cheaper. And, uh, you know, I'm no longer racking up all those toll costs and, and um, driving my vehicle less. So that's that saves on gas and, and wear and tear. Uh, so it, overall, it does save quite a bit of money. I think I did out all the math. It's, it's something like 10 to $15 per round trip I'm saving by doing this. Now, the only setback is that my commute time is a little longer because when I get to the station in, in Framingham, I have to park the car. Uh, in the garage and, and, you know, find a spot and unload and then go downstairs and, and uh, you know, load up into the bus. And so that, that adds another 15 to 45 minutes, depending, especially if I, if I missed one of the buses. Uh, but it, it's, it's totally worth it. Again, just the overall, it, it's, it's so much easier to avoid the traffic, save some money and, uh, and just make my overall commute a little bit better or a lot better, I should say. And, and, you know, that addition of time is, it's not really a big deal. Uh, it, it, it turns, you know, a 45 to 50 minute commute to about an hour, hour, 10, hour, 15, depending on traffic. So yeah, adds a little time, but in some cases I can, you know, I can take a snooze in the bus or, you know, you know, maybe write some notes down for this podcast, for example. So I, I definitely have uh, some extra time uh, in the commute where I can I can do stuff like that. But anyway, back to Wednesday. So I, I hopped on the bus and, and I was on my way to, to Logan Airport and I was prepared for uh, I think it was a 2 p.m. ish departure for that first leg. Uh, and so this meant, you know, getting onto airport property 
about one hour prior to departure. Uh, it is ex exactly at least one hour prior to departure per our operations manual. So that gives us enough time to get through security and, and get to the gate. Uh, so I was, I was set to arrive nice and early. I gave myself plenty of time. Um, I'd probably be arriving just around, uh, just after 12 uh, noon or so. Uh, but that's uh, what I thought at first. Um, so I, I did arrive at 12, which which for the original schedule of, of a 2 p.m. flight, that, that was plenty early. But my schedule changed, which was interesting. Uh, instead of operating that first flight down to D.C., I got switched to a deadhead, which uh, if you remember from previous episodes, a, a deadhead is where I'm just a passenger in the back and I'm getting relocated to, to work the next leg. So I, I later found out that uh, because they switched the uh, the aircraft um, from the 190, which which I'm operating, uh, they switched it to an Airbus, and so that's why uh, I got switched to a deadhead. Because obviously we're not going to be able to to switch between fleets. You know, we're only rated for one aircraft at a time, uh, and so it, I guess they did that to accommodate more people on that specific leg. Because uh, maybe they had last minute more people tried to buy tickets, or maybe there was maintenance issues. I don't know the exact details, but. That's why we got switched from uh, operating to then a deadhead. But instead of keeping us in the same time footprint for for that, that first leg, the captain and I were moved up to an earlier flight, which was set, I think, originally set to depart at 12 p.m. Uh, and remember how I got to the airport right at 12 p.m., which, again, was supposed to be early per my original 2 p.m. departure. Uh, but I saw this change in my schedule about halfway uh, on, on the bus ride to Logan, and I kind of had a mini panic uh, thinking that I, I completely messed up my timing. Uh, but but I, I realized that, you know, I, I double-checked the schedule and that, okay, they did they did move this to an earlier than previously, previously scheduled flight. So... Uh, you know, I just said to myself, well, if if they're going to make it that tight, uh, there's nothing I can do. I'm, I'm not going to be running through the airport just to make a flight that was scheduled at the last minute. So uh, it ended up working in my favor because um, the flight that uh, that flight that was supposed to depart at 12 p.m., it, it got delayed uh, quite a bit. So uh, it ended up being fine for me. Uh, it was I believe it was the, the inbound aircraft was was delayed. And so instead of trying to push off the gate at 12, I think we didn't end up pushing till about 1 p.m. So it, it ended up giving me plenty of time to get to the gate. I was even waiting for a little bit before boarding was happening. So uh, no issues at all. And I suppose even if that flight was on time, uh, they uh, scheduling obviously needs us to, to get to D.C. in this situation to operate the next flight. So they might have actually held boarding for us, held the plane at the gate, uh, or maybe they would have bumped us to the original showtime on that uh, on that Airbus. But at any rate, like I said, I mean, it, it all worked out. And by the time I made it to the gate, boarding had just commenced. And uh, so I got my boarding pass from the gate agent and headed right down the jet bridge. Pretty much, uh, I think I was waiting, just like I said, for maybe a few minutes. But it, the timing worked out nicely. So in a nice surprise, day one of this three-day trip went from operating two legs to just operating one leg. Uh, and, and perhaps that would make the day easier, right? <laughs> Think again. Uh, for starters, we were about 20 minutes late pushing off the gate because our inbound aircraft was also a few minutes behind schedule, which in grand scheme of things, it's no big deal at all. Uh, but once we did get off the gate, uh, things were initially fine, and we were we were projected to be in the air for about two hours. I think the gate to gate flight time, or uh, the gate to gate time, was about two and a half hours. But but again, a flight time of about two hours. It's not too bad from DC to Orlando. Uh, but this this changed as we made our way south. Everything was fine for the initial part of the journey, 
but because of some adverse weather in the southeast, our routing did take us uh, quite a bit farther west than normal routing, and it took us all the way towards, uh, I think we pretty much overflew Atlanta uh, and towards the west coast of Florida before uh, heading inland over Tampa uh, in into Orlando. In fact, Tampa was our alternate airport in the event that we were not able to get into Orlando, uh, which is just kind of interesting. Not often do you fly over your alternate first before getting to your destination. It's just kind of how it worked out at that time. Uh, but our, our fuel was on schedule, but it also didn't leave much wiggle room at all. And our ears definitely perked up when over the radio Atlanta Center was starting to tell a few aircraft in front of us that holding would be expected. And soon enough, we were also told to expect holding soon. And now it was it was time to start crunching some numbers. You know, how long would we be able to hold? And this really comes down to a, a simple addition. Uh, and and there's, there's this equation that we use for it. And, and what we're coming up with is, is a minimum fuel number. And it's often referred to as bingo fuel. Uh, and, and this equation that we, there's different equations out there, but the one that I've always used is, is BAR, B-A-R. Uh, and that it, it, uh, what you do is you add up the burn, the alternate, and your reserve. And those three numbers, you add that up, that's your minimum fuel. And so burn is simply the amount of fuel from your present position to your destination. And if you're in the hold location uh, already, it, it will just be from uh, the, the fuel from the hold to the destination. Uh, if, if you weren't quite at the hold yet, you'd have to add the fuel burn from your present position to the holding location and then from the holding location to your destination. But again, it's, it's really just from your current position to your destination. That's the burn fuel. The alternate fuel is the amount of fuel from our destination to the furthest alternate. Uh, and, and the furthest alternate is if we had two filed. Uh, in this situation, we only had the one filed. So it, it'll just be uh, the fuel burn from, from destination to your alternate. And then lastly, reserve fuel, which just equals 45 minutes of fuel after the destination. And then I also add in a little buffer of 500 pounds, uh, essentially a, a fudge factor for getting any kind of vectors around, uh, you know, coming into the destination or if we had to go around. Go arounds do burn quite a bit of fuel. So, I mean, reserve accounts for running the engines at a cruise setting as well. And so that's another thing to account for that, you know, if you're, if you're going around, um, at your, you're at higher power settings uh, and, you know, you're getting vectored all around, you need to, you know, consider a possibility for a little bit of extra fuel. And, and generally speaking, you're not always flying a straight line flight path from one point to the other. So that's why I add in that 500 extra pounds to that number. And so once we come up with that, that bingo number, the minimum fuel number, that's the fuel level that at, at the point we reach that, we have to make a decision. And we either leave the hold and, and go to our destination if, if air traffic control allows it, or we might have to choose to divert. Whether that's our alternate or just another nearby airport, it really depends on where the hold is along your route of flight. So it, like I said, it's, it's kind of this final decision point where we can no longer remain in the hold. So once we come up with this bingo number, again, adding the, the burn, the alternate, the reserve, any fudge factor we want to put in there, we then compare it to the current fuel on board the aircraft and calculate how much time we have until we need to leave the hold. So to give an example, and I think it was somewhat close to this on the actual flight, I might just be spitting some numbers, but it was somewhere around uh, 9,500 pounds of fuel I think we had on board when they gave us the holding instruction. 
So just keep that in the back of your mind. We had we had 9,500 pounds of fuel on board. And once we, the captain and I, ran our own calculations, we also sent uh, all this information to dispatch, let them know, hey, we're holding here for this reason. We got uh, this much fuel on board. This is the altitude we're at. And dispatch will also spit back some numbers for us. So we get, you know, three different people essentially working on a, a minimum fuel number, which is really good. And it just helps to cross-check for any errors and in uh, what might sound like simple math, but a lot's going on, so it's it's easy to make little mistakes, and so that's why we're always cross-checking uh, each other's work. So by the end of our calculation, we all came up with a, a similar enough number, and uh, it was about 8,500 pounds of fuel. Uh, remember, I had uh, I had mentioned we had 9,500 pounds of fuel on board, so that's a, a thousand pounds uh, difference between the current fuel on board and our bingo number. And that might sound like a lot of fuel, right? But no, it's not. It's not a lot at all. Uh, and even when we are holding at our best economic holding speed, you know, we got the throttles way back, we're burning the least amount of fuel as possible. We're still burning, you know, depending on our altitude, around 2,000 pounds per hour per engine. So that's 4,000 pounds of fuel per hour. And so in this in this example, and again, the numbers might be slightly different from what I remember the other day, but it's easier math. Uh, but for this example, you know, 1,000 pounds of fuel, if you're burning 4,000 pounds per hour, you've only got 15 minutes in the hold before you hit that bingo number. And that's that's pretty much what we had the other day. So once we received those holding instructions, they, they gave us an EFC time of uh, about 45 minutes from the time we received that clearance. Uh, and just a side note, EFC stands for Expect Further Clearance. Uh, and it's it's mostly there for the reason uh, if, if we lose our communications, uh, our radio communications, we will know where uh, or when rather to to leave the hold uh, in the event that we do we, we did go lost comms. Uh, and and a lot of times in the real world, air traffic control will will get you out of the hold before your EFC time is. But generally in terms of fuel planning, when we get an EFC time, if our bingo fuel number is you know, going to lead to a, a time constraint that would be more or, or rather less than the EFC time, then that's an issue, obviously, right? Because, okay, the, the, the chances are we're going to be in the hold until the expect for their clearance time. Uh, now, again, in many cases, ATC will grant you uh, an exit out of the hold uh, well before the EFC time is. But any time we get an EFC time and our burn number, you know, our, our, our time in the hold is less than the EFC time, that, that's an issue because that means hmm, we're not even going to make it to the, the EFC time. And, and, and in a lost comm situation, that's a whole nother, uh, you know, basket of worms I can, I can get into there. Any any kind of fuel situation when when you're lost comms that that becomes pretty complicated too. So we, we hope we never go down that that road. But anyway, again, as aforementioned, we had about 15 minutes of wiggle room versus a 45 minute uh, potential window for our, our EFC time. So at that point, when we discovered that, the captain had me inform air traffic control that we would be declaring minimum fuel in about 10 minutes if we didn't get any good news anytime soon. And this this declaring of, of minimum fuel, what this means is we need priority handling due to a, a low fuel situation. And it, it might sound kind of crazy that we're declaring minimum fuel right at 8,500 pounds remaining. But remember, we need to get to our destination, then get to our alternate and fly 40 minute, 45 minutes thereafter with a little fudge factor as well. So it, it takes a lot of extra fuel 
when it's it's more than you know it's it's a lot more than just your destination uh it's not just point a to point b you know it's all these points in between that you have to account for so you can kind of see how tight things might get when we, we receive holding instructions but luckily because we let air traffic control know our situation they were able to sequence us towards orlando and we picked our way around some of those small thunderstorm cells uh, and, and made it, you know, made it into Orlando without any other hiccups. And, and that's the main reason for all the holding that we got was was uh, a bunch of weather that was getting in the way of a lot of the arrivals. So they had to kind of spread aircraft out and, and have them shoot gaps in between cells. And so that's why it, it, it definitely uh, increased uh, delays going in and out of Orlando. But it just it just goes to show how close we can come to making a very quick decision to divert to another airport. Uh, and when we were, you know, like I said, we um, the captain told me to to let air traffic control know that we'd be declaring minimum fuel soon. And and I think at that point, about five minutes had lapsed when they you know they acknowledged our uh, what we told them. And the captain and I looked at each other and, and he said, "All right, um, we are diverting." in about 10 minutes if, if we don't hear back from them. I said, all right, sounds good. <laughs> and and speaking of, of diversions, I mean, how often do they happen? When's the last time that, that you didn't make it to your destination on the first attempt? It, it really doesn't happen too often now, uh, at least in, in modern uh, times. You know, back in the, the early ages of, of jet travel, um, and even before that, uh, before the, the jet age, you know the reliability of getting to your destination was very low but nowadays it's it's pretty high it's it's got to be in the the 90 percentile range but it doesn't happen that often uh, i'm sure most of you listening well, maybe not most of you but i i would say uh, it's a, it's a safe bet that not many of you have had to divert and i've actually never as of yet, uh, never had to divert while operating a flight. I have, um, when I was a deadheading passenger, we diverted, uh, but it wasn't a big deal. Uh, I think we were supposed to be going from Atlanta to Boston, and the aircraft diverted to New York's Kennedy Airport, uh, which, like I said, I'm so used to all this. You know, traveling is is my job, and so it's it's straightforward. And and since I'm a crew member as well, it it doesn't phase me too much because all these inconveniences I'm, I'm used to and in order to get on another flight, you know, I can just look at any flight and if there's seats available, I can hop on it, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to get to and from work. Uh, but for a paying passenger, you know, if, if this happens, it, it can definitely become stressful because now the airline has to get you to your destination on the next available flight and it doesn't always go smoothly. And then, you know, with those kind of diversions, sometimes there's issues with the, with baggage. And I've, I've heard plenty of stories from uh, from from friends and family that yeah they've they've run into all kinds of issues when as soon as one little thing doesn't go uh, according to plan that you know it it uh, goes down the the rabbit hole really quickly but for me no no big deal uh, again not not an issue and the interesting thing about almost diverting is that sometimes the the alternate listed on on the dispatch release it, it's not necessarily the best option to to divert to either. And when we were, uh, last week, when we were exploring the possibility that we, we might not make it to Orlando, our alternate was Tampa, uh, but it wasn't looking so great either. I mean, there were there were some delays getting in and out of Tampa as well due to some pop-up thunderstorms uh, pretty much right over the airport. So we had to kind of scan around, look at our, uh, our charts and, and look at radar and, and see where the weather was elsewhere. Uh, we had found that Jacksonville was had some good weather, but there was this long line of thunderstorms kind of blocking our way. So we knew, all right, Jacksonville wasn't going to work. 
Miami was farther away and, and there would have been a lot more considerations to account for due to just how large that airport is, yet how small our operation is there in, in perspective to the, the size of the airport. Uh, and so we, we started looking at Southwest Florida and, and we found that Fort Myers was probably going to be our best option. So, I mean, the weather was good. Uh, we also have a lot of operations there. So in terms of grabbing a gate and having personnel to, to handle us, it would have been, it would have been pretty easy uh, in comparison to some other airports. Um, not, not to say that diverting is easy, but uh, maybe less stressful. <laughs> so that, that was our escape plan. If, if air traffic control did not grant us an exit out of the hold, in the next 10 to 15 minutes, we were diverting to Fort Myers. And, and at least now, you know, most of the decision-making process was complete. We, we, we made that decision. We're like, okay, this is our plan B, and this is where we're going to go if, if we, don't get, uh, we don't get, you know, exited out of the hole. Uh, so it was just a matter of waiting to, to see what would happen. But, but like I said earlier, uh, we made it to Orlando and, and uh, got to our hotel. No other hiccups along the way. It was definitely a little bit tiring. It, it, it made one leg feel like two days of work, honestly. It, it was very tiring. Day two, in comparison, was very pretty much uneventful. I, I think um, by the end of the three legs, which were scheduled for that second day, uh, the, the footprint of... of um, this day was, I think it was uh, Orlando to D.C., D.C. to Boston, and Boston back to D.C. for the night. And I, I think by the end of the day, we were only about 35 minutes behind schedule. So you know, all things considered, that's, that's not too bad at all. And when we arrived into D.C. on the last leg, a little after 8 p.m., uh, we got to the hotel just before 9 p.m., I think. So, yeah, I was a little bit tired. Um, and after a, a quick meal, I, I fell asleep pretty quickly. But in comparison to the previous day... You know, three legs of work didn't didn't feel too too bad uh, in comparison. So we we another really cool thing is we we stayed fairly close to the National Mall in D.C. So I, I knew my plan was to get up early and and go for a nice long walk and and I did just that. I ended up uh, making a five mile loop I think around the mall, just checking out the monuments and and getting some good exercise. And I'd also I'd grabbed an admission ticket to the National I think they call it the Aeronautics and Space Museum or it's the Space and Aeronautics Museum. I can't remember which way they word it. Uh, but even with my time slot, it's it's free. A lot of the, all these museums, most of these museums right on the mall there, they're all free. But some of them require an admission ticket, particularly the Space Museum, just because it's so busy. Uh, and even with my time slot, the line was so long that I, I just didn't have enough time because uh, I, I needed some more time to get back to the hotel and, and get ready for the day. So alas, I, I did not get into any museums. Uh, but in the future, I, sh I should definitely check out uh, other museums too. I mean, there, there's more than one museum. Uh, I guess it's just because my my game plan was to go to this one specific museum and I didn't think of any other backup plans. So future self, uh, I'll just remind myself to, to try and check out some other stuff because there's more than one thing out there. But uh, it it still was really nice to just walk around and check out all the monuments. I think they had the the World Culture Fair was going on, or it was just starting. It was just setting up. So it was a bunch of these chairs and tents all over the mall in the middle along the grass there. And um, it did kind of block a little bit of the walking, but there was still plenty of space to walk around. You know, I walked up to the Washington Monument and uh, over past the uh, the World War II monument and uh, all the way down towards the Lincoln Monument and then back uh, I went by the Capitol building as well until until heading back to to the hotel so it was, it was great great uh, to get out and exercise for sure once I got back to the hotel it was time to get ready for day three 
Uh, and day three, go home day, was just not as pleasant as it could have been. <laughs> the the footprint of the trip was very of the day was very straightforward, but the, it just was not a straightforward day. We were supposed to go from D.C. to Boston, Boston back to D.C., and then home D.C. to Boston again. And if you <laughs> paid attention to the other the destinations that I was talking about for the previous two days, the only other one was Orlando. So this entire three day trip with uh, let's see, we had two the first day, three, so that's eight legs of flying was only three airports. So a lot of repeat, repeat flying, um, just a bunch of back and forth. And en route to the airport you know, from from the uh, from the hotel, it was it was already showing a delay of about forty minutes, uh, and so that was just a matter of, of the inbound aircraft being a little bit behind schedule. And, but I guess the only good thing about this is, is a lot of times our van times from, from uh, the hotel to the airport gives us just enough time to get through security and then show up to the plane, get it ready, and then boarding will commence pretty shortly thereafter. So a lot of times, you know, these things line up you know, pretty perfectly so that it, it maximizes the time that we're off duty at the hotel. Uh, but, but as soon as we get to the airport, I mean, we're ready to go to work. But because of this 40-minute delay... Uh, it, it gave me a chance to go eat. So I, I went and grabbed some kava, which for those who don't know, is some really good Mediterranean style food. Uh, I had this delicious, albeit really messy, uh, falafel pita sandwich, but it was so tasty. And I also ran into an awesome captain that I, I'd flown with a couple months, um, or rather a couple times at my, my previous job. So it was great to catch up with him. And, and then I also ran into a flight attendant I worked with a few times as well. I, I think they were actually on the same trip. Uh, and, and she was really excited because she is starting flight training soon, which uh, I was also really excited for. So we were, we were chatting about that. And uh, I told her, hey, you know, just reach out anytime you got any questions about, about flying and, and the whole process, because it's awesome. When, when someone gets really excited about, about starting a career in aviation, I, I, get, I get just as ecstatic as they are. So after catching up and, and, and eating, our plane did finally arrive and, and we got things started. And we, we right away had a, a short delay for an edict, which um, I think I've probably brought it up in, in previous episodes, but it, it stands for an Estimated Departure Clearance Time, E-D-C-T, and, and we just say edict because it's easier to say. Uh, and it, it's essentially, a, it's a wheels up time, so to speak. It's, it's a slot that, you know, we need to catch in order to get into Boston's airspace. And so if you miss that time, you usually have to wait a little bit for a new one. But generally speaking, for the most part, you're waiting for your edict time anyway. So you, you try and work it out with boarding and your pushback and, and estimate the, the taxi time so that you know, you're know you getting all squared away so that you'll get to the runway right about at that time uh, for the edict to, to make that slot time. And it's normally fairly easy to accomplish. But for this crazy day, I mean, there was weather going on in the Northeast it, it just, it wasn't going to work out. And, and one of the reasons, in, in addition to um, uh, weather going on, we had an individual with a, a very unique wheelchair that, that needed some, some extra time to accommodate. Um, I didn't actually take a look at it. I think I was busy you know, programming the, the flight management system to, to get it all squared away for the leg. Uh, but apparently this, this, um, this, this fancy apparatus, this, this wheelchair weighed like 400 pounds or something. So the, the logistics to get this thing from the jet bridge and, uh, you know, carefully get the, the customer into their seat on the plane and then move this, this apparatus downstairs and into the belly of the plane, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> and, it, and it took a lot of time, uh, quite a long time. So that, that delayed boarding 
uh, quite a bit. And but and, you know, no big deal because we're we're going to accommodate every customer uh, that we possibly can. So even if it means taking a delay, that that's just the way it goes. But because we had that edict time from earlier, we we hadn't initially accommodated, uh, you know, accounted for the fact that we would need more time for boarding. So we ended up missing that slot time. Um, but you know, we 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 got a new slot time and and we were able to get out of there again a little bit behind schedule. But that's that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, once we arrived into Boston, the the reverse process of, of offloading that wheelchair apparatus was again it's it's a big challenge for for the ground team and um, for operations to figure it out. But everyone was very attentive. You know, we we made sure to communicate that hey, you know, we've got this uh, this equipment that we need to unload and and carefully get the customer uh, into their chair and then up the jet bridge. So when we got to the gate, I mean, they were all ready for us. So it was it was really great, uh, an excellent team effort. But again, it, it just took some time to do. Uh, to get it all squared away. And because of that, the, the boarding for the next leg was delayed. Uh, and and again, that's fine. But while that whole offloading process was taking place, the captain and I snuck up into the terminal because at this point it was dark out. I think it was probably 8 p.m. or so. And we were just starting to get tired. And it's, it's you know, we still had uh, some more flying to do. You know, we, we had to, to go back to DC and back. So we were a little tired. We needed to, to get uh, some more coffee. And it, it really was such a tease because, you know, that first leg going from D.C. to Boston, you're back in Boston, but we have to do one more turn. So it's like, ah, oh, the, the end is so close. It's so you're so close to being home, but you got to go go out and do one more turn. <laughs> so it's it just kind of a bummer. But the extra coffee definitely, definitely boosted it. We finally departed Boston and, and we made the, the quick turn in D.C., uh, and at this point, like I said, I think it was about 8 p.m. by the time we departed. Uh, so most of the evening rush hour uh, had passed at, at um, in D.C., uh, but we still got one more edict for Boston. So by the time we got down to D.C., I think it was oh, a little bit after 9 or so, or maybe just before 9. I can't remember exactly, but it was, it was you know... It was getting late, uh, and and the the edict for returning to Boston, I think, was pretty short. It was only an additional fifteen minute delay or or, or so. So it, it it could have been so much worse. Uh, but because of the edict we had from earlier, uh, the logistics with the the wheelchair apparatus, uh, we were we were over two hours behind schedule. And I think originally we were scheduled to arrive at our gate in Boston on that final leg at about nine p.m. But when we finally got to the gate it was i think it was just after 11 it might have been 11 20 11 30 or something like that and once we uh got all the customers deplaned i completed my my post-flight walk around and finally wrapped up my stuff and, and made my way towards the the ground transportation to, to hop on that same bus that brought me there a couple days prior and the uh the bus i was taking back to framingham i think it arrived pretty much right on time right at 11 45 p.m but it was it was late uh, I was exhausted. I mean, the, those three legs felt like way longer than it than it really was, and I remember I was kind of nodding off uh, on that uh, on that bus ride. And like I was saying earlier, it's kind of nice, you know, even if there's traffic or construction, whatever. I mean, I can just sit in the back and chill out and and, and take a nap. And and normally with with minimal to moderate traffic, it takes about 40 minutes going west from Logan Airport to Framingham, uh, and then I'll have about a 30-ish minute drive uh, home from there. But because it was midnight, 
the for those of you who've, who've driven in the Boston area, the, the Ted Williams Tunnel uh, it goes under part of the bay. It's it's um, the, the Massachusetts Turnpike, uh, but it, the, the Ted Tunnel uh, it goes under part of the bay, and they're constantly doing construction on it. And and the best time to do construction is when there's less traffic. So granted, they do this right at midnight, and they they close it down to one lane. So there's the the first part of the tunnel is three lanes, and then it goes down to two lanes. Uh, but when you're all of a sudden down to one lane, even if it's midnight, there's enough traffic where it's a lot of stop and go traffic at midnight, which it, it's such a bummer. But again, it, it could be worse if I if I had to drive that portion. You know, I, I got to just rest my eyes, and I, I remember I started nodding off a bit. You know, I uh, had the, the flycatcher going. You know, my jaw was open, and <laughs> I was really tired. It was it was an exhausting three day trip, uh, and and I finally then uh, made it to my car. Uh, I was a little bit groggy, but I was good enough to drive home. Uh, and and the, the thought of my, my cozy warm bed was definitely appealing. And once we got to, to the station, uh, to the Framingham bus station, uh, once I got in my car and, and, and hopped on um, hopped on the road back home, it, uh, the, the traffic at that point was pretty much negligible. It was it was pretty easy. I think I got home in about 25 minutes. So my final arrival time into my driveway was about 1:30 a.m. when it could have should have been 11 p.m uh maybe even 10 30 p.m so it was a lot later than expected i was exhausted uh but just so thrilled to be home uh and the the one last journey was lugging my bags up my three flight of stairs and then plopping into my bed and that was it so that my friends is the story of of this fairly eventful three-day trip uh this past week again it the, the footprint of it seemed pretty easy, but it, it just goes to show how things can go out of whack. You know, you get holding instructions, you're, you're, you're running these calculations, you're having to explore the possibility of diverting to another, uh, another airport. Uh, and we have to constantly be in communication with the company and make sure that, okay, if this is what we're going to do, you know, what airport are we going to? Uh, what are we going to do once we get on the ground? Is there a gate available for us? Uh, what about the customers in the back? What are they going to do? They we're not at our destination, so where do we go? So, you know, a diversion can be quite a bit complicated. Luckily, we, we narrowly escaped that one. Uh, and then, you know, day two was, was pretty uneventful. But that last day, you know, sometimes things get thrown at you. You know, the logistics of loading certain equipment onto an aircraft can can be time consuming. And then you have all these uh, departure time clearances you're trying to meet and they can be they can be a little challenging. So it, it just goes to show that a, a simple what seems like a simple three day trip turns to an, it turns into a very exhausting uh, event and you know I got like I said I got home at like 1:30 a.m and I already had a wedding to go to the next day uh, a family wedding to go to so that was that was a lot on my plate but I did it I got through it and here I am telling you all about it so anyway thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode I'll be back next time and until then as always fly safe <laughs>